Welcome to All Things Wolverines, a Wolverine sports podcast for the people, by the people. Enjoy expert analysis, entertaining discussion, and the pessimism of true Michigan fans. Get ready for All Things Wolverines. Welcome to All Things Wolverines. The University of Michigan Wolverines are national champions. It happened. It's happened. We're there. 15 and 0. 15 and 0. Uh glorious. Such a riding such a high. Tuesday morning was so tough cuz up so late watching as much post game as possible, but they did it. It's amazing. We love this team. And today's episode is going to be all about uh, talking about the game, how amazing that game was. Uh, we're not thinking about the future yet. We are just enjoying this, this team. Let's soak every ounce of it up because it is absolutely incredible um the circumstances around it the storylines of all the players amazing and so we're just going to talk about this game and then we'll reflect on some things from this season nate get us in do the honors uh what was your big takeaway from this absolutely beautiful interesting unique game against the washington huskies It's still, it's the emotions are still so high. Um, that's what's wild. Uh, I mean, we, I guess when you think about it, I was 13 um, when they won. So I was dealing with uh, bridge to higher math, my math course in seventh grade. And, uh, you know, worried about girls and uh, all kinds of curious stages of uh, being a seventh grader. And, having zero clue that that was going to be the last time until Monday night that uh, I was going to experience that again. And even then, this is the standalone championship game. It wasn't a split championship. Um, there's no debate. There's no banter with another school as to who's better in spite of what ridiculous people think. Um, there's nothing that can rob you of this. Zero. The NCAA president came out and declared this a legal, enjoyable, fair and square, I believe, was the terminology he used. And that's as backwards of an organization as you can get as far as, like, competency. And in the midst of everything else, losing your coach for six games, <laughs> dealing with all the craziness, the ridiculousness, they went out and took care of business in the most Big Ten national championship game the world will ever see making the most competent fun to watch offense since 2019's LSU team look like a very pedestrian big 10 West school because all of us now being affirmed in this, I am fully admitted that I undervalued how great this defense actually was. And I think it took me shame on me this long to recognize it, but people kept talking so much about the Washington offense, that all Jesse Mentor and the defensive team, the coordinators, the coaches, the development, the individual athletes themselves, 
took it upon themselves to just strictly dominate greater than anything I've seen. I heard someone talk about how there were 13 possessions that Washington had, and they had 13 total points. That is bananas. There wasn't any weather that they were dealing with. There wasn't any uh, stimulating circumstances. Dylan Johnson did play. Props to Washington. I do want to declare that. I think oftentimes you run into your celebration. But, man, again, a very easy team to root for. Kalen DeBoer, I do think, is exactly like John Beeline in football form. He's made his own path, his own journey. Um, unlike John Beeline, he did take an assistant job as a coordinator for Tom Allen and uh, did Tom a favor and got them to be ranked and uh, clearly a great coach. That guy is going to be successful, whatever he ends up doing. Um, but that team as well, just a very likable group of guys. And uh, I, I, I root for those individuals as they move into the NFL. But back to our side of things, it was the championship the Big Ten didn't deserve, but Michigan gave them. It was a Michigan national championship. They really embodied the Michigan versus everybody narrative. I want to personally thank each and every person that bought hook, line, and sinker, the narrative that stealing signs are for cheaters. And that uh, the only reason that Michigan succeeded the past three years was because of stealing signs, which is something that everyone does. It's called scouting. And you apply scouting to create game plans. Game plans create execution. Execution is made by your players, which happens first in the weight room, then in the in the uh, film room then it goes out to the field and it translates in blocking and tackling and michigan's really good at blocking and tackling guess who guess who else isn't anyone else in the big 10 which is why we've dominated for three straight years moving into a fourth we're going to lose a lot of nfl players i'm grateful for those guys they're legends and they're forever national champions no one's going to take that away from them but this was potentially the greatest moment outside of any family-related activity that I've experienced. But you went back in time, I think all of us, no matter where you are in your life, I went back to being a joyful 13-year-old in my mind and remembered that elation. But I took well for granted growing up, what beating Ohio State every year as a child, and then going through what we went through. This generation of children, our kids, are going to be talking about this. And they're going to have a different experience than we are. But our gratitude just built over the 20 years of absence of being dominant. Yet here we are atop the mountain with a 14 playoff, finishing off the 14 playoff the way that only we could, which is slowly and surely winning the race, attaining incredible athletes, and uh, hoisting that trophy with Coach Harbaugh. And who knows what the future holds, as you said. All we can do is celebrate. Parade is on Saturday. Go Blue. National champions. 2023-24, on to the next thing. But need to celebrate while we still can. Oh, yes. It felt like you ever just cracked your back in the morning and it feels just right. Or just sighed, the best sigh of relief. It just felt... Like all of those things at one time, just this collective exhale of goodness and of peace. And similar, you know, to Nate thinking through 
that, you know, there was one time not too long ago until 2021 that Brady Hoke had more wins against Ohio State than Jim Harbaugh did. In the pain of the Hoke and the Rich Rodriguez era and the end of the Lloyd Carr era, just this collective exhale. You know, I'd go back to when I was 10. I was 10, about to turn 11 the last time that Michigan won a national championship. And, and at that age, I thought, I can't wait to enjoy more of these in my life. We had Charles Woodson. We're going to have the next Charles Woodson. We're going to have the next Anthony Thomas. We're going to have the next, you name it. And then we didn't. And so going back just to those days to appreciate it, um, 20 plus years of just a lot of, a lot of turmoil, a lot of pain, a lot of underperformance, a lot of just not enough talent in years where we were super close just to collectively exhale in with the rest of uh, Wolverine fans everywhere was so good. The coaches coached, coached really well. And the players played, they played very well. Thinking that the Donovan Edwards runs, they, they had that, they knew they were going to do that. They knew they were going to put him in early and get him going when the guy had like, you know, like a, he had almost had more yards last year against Ohio State rushing than he did this entire season. And to do what he did on that stage in two plays, to touch the ball twice and take it to the house, unbelievable. The O-line, unbelievable. Containing Michael Penix and their star wide receivers. I mean, what a great group. And to do it and get a pass rush on him with no blitzing. The Joe Moore, like we weren't even sent in the house and we took it to the Joe Moore award winning offensive line. The sacrifice game plan wise, we sacrificed the linebacker that entire game and added a safety all game, even with uh, Quentin Johnson out injured. So not, not a rotation with say Keon Sab, Makari page, Rod Moore, they were playing almost all game and those guys don't play all game they kind of rotate a, a little bit between the four of those guys and uh you know we had more of like a front six than a front seven rotation that seemed like going on which just is different you know it was just different great coaching great execution great pass coverage to stay patient all three units played well james turner tommy doman shout out william wagner long snapper bouncing it back uh, you know, he does the short snapping duties and the long snapping duties on the field goal and the punting units. William Wagner, appreciate you. Uh, all of all of our players who rush played. Khalil Mullings didn't have a ton, but man, he had an impact on the game. Alex Orgy came in and had an awesome first play. Um, JJ McCarthy in the run game uh, when we needed it. Obviously, Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards picked the right time to have the game of the season. Donovan uh, Loveland and Roman. Uh, they, they did their part. And then our entire defense top to bottom, bottom to top. 
Wait, Cam Good was out there a bit, you know? Like, everyone was contributing. So the coaches coached, the players played, the fans rejoiced, and are still rejoicing. It's glorious. The big takeaway is soak it all in because we don't know if it'll be another couple decades. Just enjoy it. We are champions for a year. And we actually get to have the longest reign of champions on a singular title because the championship game is not going to be played till like January 20th next year. So we've got more than a year as as defending champs, as reigning or reigning champs, if you will. So enjoy every single moment, every single day. Uh, we're champions. Champions of the West. Champions of the North. Champions of the South. Champions of the East. Michigan Wolverines are national champions. I love it. Every, every second of it. Cousin Kyle, what was your big takeaway? I can distinctly remember on, uh, I don't remember the day. I probably should have looked it up. But it was, you know, December 2014, January 2015, when Michigan had the press conference to announce Jim Harbaugh coming home. And I remember sitting in my living room, you know, uh, with tears in my eyes, just just out of happiness, because like Nate and Brandon said, you know, we we went from the 90s, which were, you know, that was the decade that that we all fell in love with with Michigan football. And, you know, my earliest memory of of anything Michigan football related was in 93 uh turning on the tv not really like knowing much and and seeing michigan it just happened to be michigan ohio state michigan shut out ohio state that year uh mercury hayes catches a touchdown pass uh falling like over his shoulder away from his body like it's it's a beautiful play you should look it up and yeah like like Nate said that that kind of became our normal was watching Michigan dominate Ohio state. Not, you know, Michigan had some, some lean years in the nineties, you know, uh, too many four lost seasons, but, but that 97 season was, was magical. And for us, all the formative years of our lives, I was, I was 12 years old. I was in sixth grade, uh, a year older than, than what my son is now. And like, yeah, you, you fall in love with that and it, it becomes meaningful to you in, in ways that are, are not just about a sport and it's about the passage of, of time. You know, we think about, you know, we were having this conversation, our text thread the other day where it's like, we think about our lives and the timeline of our lives in terms of, of sporting events, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, and, 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 you know, 1999 like that was uh middle school my eighth grade year like i think about tom brady and when winning the orange bowl uh or the next year i can remember you know freshman year i remember having to miss the second half of the ohio state michigan game because we had basketball practice and i distinctly remember thinking i have more of these to watch it'll be okay and then i did I didn't have another win in Columbus to watch until last year. And, you know, we, we experienced some really rough times, uh, Rich Rodriguez, you know, and that debacle, Nate and I were at the, the Toledo game 
right? We lose to to Toledo on a missed field goal. Like it, the, that was the nadir, right? And and you kind of look back on it and you're like, yeah, that, that was a really bad moment. But you kind of had hope. You were like, all right, well, you know, maybe he'll turn around next year. And they didn't. Not really. Not good enough. And then, you know, Rodriguez is fired and they bring in Brady Hoke. And I can remember being very unimpressed with the decision. They have this magical 2011 season that that was a, more of a fluke than anything else. And then again in 2014, you remember, you know, Shane Morris playing through a concussion and just thinking, what are we doing here, right? Like, what, what are these coaches doing? And that was also the nadir, right? Like that, that just that was just this pit for far too long. And and Jim Harbaugh brought that back. And he could never get over that hump though of Ohio State. He had a perfect game plan in, in 2016, 2017, but just the team couldn't win. 2018, 2019, Don Brown's defenses just get just absolutely smoked because Ohio State correctly changed up what they were doing compared to what Michigan was doing, and we didn't adapt fast enough. And I can remember in the 2020 season, which was fake, right? Nothing was real about 2020. Any Anytime Indiana ends a season with a winning record, you can probably assume that that wasn't really a real year. And all these people want him fired. And I can, I can remember being sort of at my, the end of my rope, but not necessarily even with him. My, my thought was just like, well, if Jim can't do it, no one can, you know, like this is never going to get better. And I just have to accept that. And then 2021 happened. And we were all kind of, I think on edge of like, do we, do we want to accept this or not that this is real? And I didn't really start believing till we went into Wisconsin and won that first road game. And then we pulled one out in Nebraska and a game that I feel like, and, and, you know, I think actually Cade McNamara said after that game, like no disrespect to anyone, but I think past teams lose this game, but this team is different. And I was like, okay, okay, we're different. I like it. And then, um, yeah, beating Ohio State that year and the elation. And then last year and that elation. And then this year, you know, three years, record of 40 and three. Right? Outside of fielding Yost, that's that's like the best run in, in Michigan football history. And it's wild to think that, that we will be the last 15-0 team ever. We're also, I think, the last 12 and 0 team ever. So, you know, the relief that that we felt, I think, on, on Monday night, mixed with the joy, mixed then with, as Braden said, the the just tiredness of like staying up till 3 a.m. watching all these things and then having to wake up for work at like, you know, 6, 7 a.m. the next day. Uh, it was kind of brutal, but also it carried us through the, that whole day. And it's going to carry us through hopefully for a long time. And I guess my big takeaway is just enjoy what you get. Uh, you know, a 12-team playoff, winning winning a championship has gotten that much harder and more random even, 
right? Because sometimes football is a game of randomness. You know, the ball bounces one way, hits somebody on a punt. That's a turnover or whatever. Like you, you, you might never get this again. Probably never going to see an undefeated team again. And so, you know, just enjoying that and, and shoving this memory, holding on to it and, you know, not, not worrying about tomorrow and who's leaving and, and, and is Jim coming back? It'll happen or it won't. You can't control any of that. So just bottle it up as much as you can in a good way and, and just try to live off the reserves of this feeling for a real long time. And next year when they inevitably lose a game, you know, that's okay. They're going to lose sometime again, right? Like, let's not turn into fans of programs that are just, like, completely irrational. You know, because there's no joy in that. And if 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 the pain of losing or the frustration, the anger of losing outweighs what winning does for you, it's time to it's time to hang up your your old remote and and find something else to do because life's too short. Uh, but but this is great and so happy, so happy for every guy that was connected to this team. Uh, gonna miss so many of them. And just so thankful that they decided to play at the University of Michigan and we got to to watch them and enjoy that. Oh, it's beautiful. All of it's beautiful. Cause I think that's where it's kind of like college is special because it's especially college football, because so much rides on every game. You know, and I know there's going to be changes coming up, but even still with the, the, the 14 playoff, like it, it, every game mattered, you know, every single one of them down the stretch where it was like Penn State, Maryland was tight, uh, Ohio State, I, like every single one of those games has so much on it, so much, the intensity of that. And what's beautiful about sports is it makes you feel uh, great things and awful things. And you, you do realize it's just a sport. We know that, but man, it's so life-giving and it's especially when you see these kids who do it the right way on and off the field, it's really, really special, really proud to be, uh, you know, uh, someone who grew grew up around Michigan football. That's wonderful. Okay. Now it's time that Michigan pessimism is real. And even in a game like this, especially in a game like this, maybe uh, it's there and it rears its ugly head, but that's just who we are. We don't apologize. Nate, uh, tell us about your pessimism going into this game during this game. What were you feeling? Well, I'm just glad that there's text threads instead of immediate Twitter reactions. People, again, people that post in the moment of a game stress me out. Uh, I have a lot of dark thoughts that I immediately disagree with. Um, it's a football game. It's uh, Mistakes will be made, 19, 20, 21, sometimes 26-year-olds uh, in college football. That exists now. Uh, make mistakes. Make bad choices. Uh, forget the assignments, whatever it might be. But 
yeah, the pessimism going in to the game obviously was holy crap. If you watched any of the bowl game against Texas that Washington had, you were terrified uh, about where he can place the ball and how easily he can place the ball. And you look at the mock draft boards going into the game. There were five players from Washington in the first two rounds. Uh, most of the skills positions. If you're a Michigan fan and you're being honest, you didn't feel comfortable with your defensive backfield. Again, this is all funny, right? Because now we're we're on the other end of it. But we don't think Kyle McCord, we don't think he's as bad as Ohio State fans do, but um, we don't think he's that great. Jalen Milrose, same thing, right? Washington, Alabama was not the, the Alabama of Jerry Judy and all these other Devonta Smith, all these like ridiculous all pro receivers that are going to eventually exist. Um, this is the this is the team that we were worried about. We would see, and how good is Josh Wallace? How good is you know uh, Saint Ristel with the size advantage that these receivers that are six three and up have? And turns out that wasn't the pessimism that we needed because they played outside of what I would say. Um, I was my my pessimism is outside of the punt return, which is just what it was. It was our weakest unit on the entire team all year. It happened again, but the weakest unit I think we had were getting our receivers open or at least drawing up some plays that created enough creativity to open up the run. Um, my pessimism was we had a great game plan offensively going into it. Credit to Washington staff. After the script in the first three series, they clearly put the clamps down, adjusted properly, and I don't think it was intentional, could not have been, um, for how poorly some of those pass designs were. Um, our receivers against their defensive secondary and their back seven with the linebackers, I don't know. I haven't watched it closely enough to analyze it, but it didn't look like we had a whole lot of people that were getting open. And outside of their receivers versus our defensive backs, I think we somehow uh, played equal to them, which is amazing. I feel like they, uh, their defensive backfield were better than our receivers. And I didn't see that coming in. I thought they were good, but I didn't think it would be noticeably different that they were superior to our receivers and their route running. There were drops. There were a few things here and there, but when you watch the coverage, there wasn't a whole lot open. I don't really put it on JJ. So my my worry is, you know, uh, the recruitment of receivers, as we've talked about before, it doesn't feature receivers. We had freaking Nico Collins, and we threw the ball to him 35 times, right? Um, it's just not an offense that opens it up. We're not going to open up the playbook. We're not going to have a third receiver that's going to get 20 catches. It's just not going to happen. We have tight ends. We have three fullbacks. We have eight tight ends. We've got seven running backs, uh, 12 offensive linemen. But we're going to have at most two good receivers, probably not great. And um, I think, though I reflect on the pessimism of that, I actually find a lot of beauty in it because we know exactly who we are. We don't need it. But it is hard to watch when you have to pass because we just don't have the top-end guys that you need in order to, if you do happen to get into a shootout, um, which, thank God, again, it didn't happen. But I was holding my breath, and I'm sure everyone else was as well. The pessimism in the game was holding the breath every single time we didn't capitalize. Um, the biggest moment of the game that I was annoyed at was after we stopped them on fourth down. 
and we were up 17 to three and we went a three and out wet fart offensive game plan there. I was just like, well, okay. Like this is a team. I think we all agree with no lead is safe because they can just take the top off and do what they do. But turns out our defense obviously was better than that. But my pessimism during the game. And when I was saying the most regrettable things, that was, uh, that was where it was for me was that offensive series. I was frustrated, but man, unbelievable it's just i don't want to reflect on it too much but just being transparent that was where i was annoyed during the game what did you guys see what made you most frustrated during the game well it all started in the pregame and it became very clear that washington was the protagonist here and that everybody is washington and espn despite their disdain for the big their alleged disdain for the big uh conference uh was definitely loved loved uh anytime washington did something good it was like wow here they go again and anytime michigan did anything it was like man michigan also made a play so pregame into the first quarter i was just like so annoyed uh and normally i feel like herbie uh is pretty like he knows that he went to Ohio state and was the quarterback there and is pretty intentional about not showing that bias in, you know, in a game. And uh, I was just like, come on, Herbie, come on. Um, anyways. Uh, and then before it actually kicked off uh, the fact that there were ACC officials had me a little bit like, what are we doing here? Why is the ACC uh, allowed? Um, but Honestly, after we scored so early, I was worried that we were scoring too quickly and would lead to kind of like a shootout type of game, which I realize is a very Michigan take. Like, oh, we just scored twice very, very quickly. But I re- like I, I, I just kept thinking, like, we cannot let this um, keep our defense on the field so much where we're getting so worn down because it's just so quick. We're turning around so quick, and then we play into their style of game. It was really what I was, you know, obviously I was thrilled about the touchdowns, but kind of a little nervous about the pace of all of that. Uh, I was really peak frustrated, peak pessimistic when we got away from the run too much in the second quarter. Um, and then, you know, Michael Penix leads them down the field right before halftime you know, we had kind of stalled out. We'd had those couple of big plays, obviously from uh, Dono, but, you know, we leave at 17, 10 at half. And uh, it's, it just felt like the Alabama type game where it's like, we should be winning this game or could be winning this game by a lot more, but we're still winning, but only by one score. Felt like we had dominated. I'm getting texts from people like, you guys have dominated that game. Like, what's going on here? Um, and in all the jubilation of the last seven minutes of the game, you forget that we were only up by seven until there were seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. Like, this was a close game. So, um, man, I, I, those moments had me, and then obviously calmed down a little bit when Will J. Uh, that off at the beginning of the second half but even still it's like man we can't couldn't punch it in for a touchdown we can't can't really move the ball the passing game didn't seem to be you know much of of an availability to us 
Um, but to punch, you know, get that touchdown with seven minutes left in the fourth was just awesome. And from there, it was like, all right, we just got to stop him. And then Mikey does Mikey things. And it was gorgeous, beautiful, wonderful. And then it was like, all right, we won this game. Cousin Kyle, where was your Michigan pessimism rearing its beautiful, ugly, complicated <laughs> head during? Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny to think about pessimism now on the other side of it. But yeah, like what Brandon was saying, I mean, it was such a close game to the last seven minutes and Michigan ends up blowing the top off. And so, you know, the casual observer is like, oh, you know, they won by 21. You you weren't stressed at all. And it's like, no, I was stressed every second of the game. Um, I think, yeah, pessimism is actually probably too strong of a word, though, because I, I, I really felt like this was Michigan's game. I felt going into it, we were destined to win. I just felt, I was just like, we're going to win. And the the only thing probably like so when blake tears off his own like 59 yard run uh that does not end in a touchdown and then we have to kick a field goal and so it's 17 to 3 i was kind of like uh that's going to annoy me because you know that washington is just going to go all out on on stopping the run from that point on and so are we going to do what we normally do in a big 10 game which is kind of sit on them and waste opportunities and not be aggressive and just be like, we we're going to win this. So we don't, we don't really need to do anything fancy. And I do feel like that's what this game ended up being was Michigan being like, no, we got you. We we've downloaded your, uh, your offense into our amazing computer brain of a defensive coordinator's head. And like, you're not going to, you're not going to do anything on us. I think when, when, Washington, when Penix had, I can't remember which receiver it was, when he had that guy wide open, though, on the blown coverage between Rod Moore and Mike Sanders still, I, I, if that had been caught, I think I would have gone full pessimism mode in that moment. But to me, them missing that, I was actually like, nope, this is our night. We're not, we're not going to be done in by stupid things like that. And uh, this is, this is where we're at. So, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's, I think that was the crucial moment of keeping me from going full blown, like pessimism. We're going to lose this game to no, I think I, I still think we got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there were a couple of those two moments of those throws. Yeah. Um, and one to the tight end as well, where you're just like, oh my gosh. Okay. All right. All right. Now in our over analysis, you know, this is where we kind of take a little deeper look under the hood of this game. Uh, maybe some things you just saw in this game or things we've been doing throughout the year. Uh, Nate, get us in on your over analysis for the final time. of This absolutely gorgeous, perfect, beautiful 15 and zero national champion, big 10 champion back to back to back. Um, just get us in on the over analysis of this beautiful game. Well, unsurprisingly, we have to talk about defense, right? I mean, how the heck do they do that? We haven't seen a performance like that consecutively. I can't remember when. Um, even Georgia two years ago, like just hog stomped us, right? 
Um, and they're not a they weren't an offense at the time that did that. So what we just witnessed with uh many would consider a better offense <laughs> than even TCU's the year before, because that was just like a lightning in a bottle randomness that we don't want to reflect upon because it makes us annoyed. But we won the championship. So truthfully, I'm like, I've moved on. Um I think what we have to assess are the I mean, just just evaluating it. Like, yeah, I don't want to leave the position, and, and you guys, you know, Kyle made me feel like I just graduated college uh, with his with his uh, speech at the beginning there, his reflections. Um, I feel like I'm still in that space of of pondering how in the world do they do this? The the coaching, each intentional coach that they brought in, has truly brought a different level, and it's just been this building block since 2020. We've talked about it. But you think about bringing in Mike Elston from Notre Dame, who is a Michigan man, but Notre Dame was annoying to play up up front. Like their their front four was just always obnoxious, right? It was just like every guy was solid, not not like outstanding, but just really well coached, really well disciplined, and it frustrates you beyond comprehension. Um, bring in Coach Klingscale from uh, U- University of Kentucky, of all places. Why was Kentucky competitive about 10 years ago all of a sudden, right? Because of Coach Clink, he would get guys from the Ohio area to come down to Kentucky instead of going to Michigan State, which is where, you know, D'Antonio was winning a lot of battles. But D'Antonio clearly lost those guys. UK got those guys. They started getting much better. And then um, be the development of Coach Clink. I just heard Sam Webb this morning say uh, Clink told Sam Webb going into 2021 – Losing a top draft pick in Dax Hill. Um, Clink told Sam Webb, now this is a month into the position of St. Ristol switching from receiver to nickel. He said, there's not going to be a drop off of nickel this year. And Sam said, what are you talking about? How is that possible? <laughs> and uh, he was right. Two years later, you talk about a guy that's left his mark and legacy. I mean, he's an all-timer. He's a legend forever and always. Mikey St. Ristol maybe the best leader we've had since Tom Brady, just genuinely as he, who he is, how he talks. Um, I think bringing in guys that can develop those types of kids who are just great athletes, have a desire to get better and are committed to a cause. That's the brand and culture that's been created. And you bring in guys that are developers that genuinely eat, breathe and sleep. Remember coach clink when he got off, this is random, but you remember when, Coach Clink got off Twitter and everyone was freaking out because like, oh, my gosh, he's a part of this. No, he's just like, there's so much noise. This is stupid. What's the point of Twitter? He got off of it. I think they were just locked in. It just totally reaffirms that this culture of coach coaches just bought in. Kirk Campbell seeing, uh, my gosh, the development of JJ this past year. Um, Jaden Davis really loves this guy um, at the quarterback position. Uh, Sharon Moore took on three roles at once for a game and they didn't seem to really have a huge drop off. It's just every single person, Ron Bellamy with the receivers, they know their role. It's just like all these coaches, um, the overanalysis that, sorry, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm going on and on and on, but I think you need to understand that the reason that they continued to get better was every year. It was a different person brought in to develop them and grow. Matt Weiss, instead of us kicking field goals, we were making touchdowns. Um, and yeah, look at the linebackers, even the development of look, look at Michael Barrett. My gosh. Remember the only thing I knew him from was the COVID year. He had the thunder sack on Minnesota's quarterback and we were like, Oh, we're going to be good. And then fast forward, we were terrible. Um, I mean, that guy 
that was the highlight. And then he just comes in and is just an outstanding all Big Ten linebacker. He's going to be drafted. Um, I just saw Junior Colson. Someone just talked about how he's possibly going to be the number one linebacker coming into this draft after him declaring. They're saying immediately, right away, his traits, his desire, his coachability. He's going to be potentially the number one linebacker in the entire NFL draft. He's a third-year player. So they're bringing in their guys, but they're developing their guys. And uh, I think that just has to be analyzed to a point of like, how do you create culture? I would, if I were a coach starting somewhere else, I would get as many meetings as I could anytime that I could with anyone associated with this program and try and replicate it as best that I could. Some of this is not possible. Harbaugh's greatest trait is hiring great guys consistently wherever he goes. He's obviously a great coach. He obviously loves the game. He obviously gets his boys. But why did it take so long? It took so long because you had to tear it down to start over, and they did that. And I think it started by getting the right people in the room to develop the right kids. And uh, that was pretty cool. So anyway, I just think we need to shout out those specific coaches along the way because it doesn't happen by having a great coach. It, it starts by having a great room of coaches that develop a great group of young men at each position that are bought into one another for one another. And uh, that's what really created this culture. And that's why I'm going to miss it. But I'm also reflective and excited to just continue, con continue to like analyze. It. It's just, it's beautiful to watch. I love it. It's beautiful. Uh, I've got a couple uh, lanes here on the over analysis. Um, in summary, our uh, offensive game plan out offense, their offensive game plan, which is just crazy. Um, Michigan ran for 303 yards in this game. 303 yards. I don't care who you're lining up against in a power five conference. You running for 300 yards is great. Washington ran for 46. Obviously, you know, I know Dylan Johnson was courageous and going out there and all that stuff, but their Joe Moore award-winning offensive line which obviously was awarded more probably for their pass protection. Um, we outgained them by 250 plus yards on the ground, guys. That's our game. We had five ball carriers average more than 6.4 yards per carry. The average yards per carry for Washington was 2.3 yards. Michigan for the game, eight yards a carry in a national championship game. Washington on offense, their average yards per play during the season was seven. In this game, Michigan held them to 4.2 yards per play. That is, that's the difference between like, an Ohio State offense and an Iowa offense. It's the Michigan difference, that, Brandon. That gap. And uh in the season for opponents, um Washington would allow 5.8 yards per play. Michigan had 7.8 yards per play. 
Uh, Washington was two of 14, which is 14% on third down. Now Michigan was a woeful one for 10, but Washington averaged, uh, uh, 44, a 44% conversion rate on third down throughout the season. So to drop that by 30%, once again, is like the gap between an explosive offense and an Iowa offense conversion rate. Um, Washington averages 343 passing yards per game. We held Michael Penix to 255, two picks and one TD. His completion percentage dropped from uh, 65% in the average game to 52%. Mason Graham, PFF rating 87.2. Chris Jenkins, 85.5. Cam Good, 84.7. Cam Good. Braden McGregor, 76.6. Don't forget the Kenneth Grant thunder sack. The sack of all sacks in that moment. And then don't forget, I got to give a shout out to Keon Sab. Missed tackle early, came back, allowed 28 yards on seven targets in his direction, two pass breakups, 54.2 passer rating allowed, 81.2 PFF coverage grade. Fantastic time, fantastic coaching to have three safeties play in the majority of this game and to sacrifice tactically. Um, even though we're used to playing and rotating a certain way to keep those guys uh, in a, con- a nice contain and to stress them out in the dogs up front with no blitzers to get in there and to create a bunch of havoc. So yeah, we made them play a Michigan game. We made them play into our hands. We dictated how they played on offense. We dictated uh, the game uh, when we were on offense and we out, um, we out offense them. You know, JJ had like 140 yards passing. So Michael Penix had 110 more yards passing. We outran the rushed them by 250 yards. That's insane. So, anyways, just beautiful that we made them play into our hands. Cousin Kyle, get us in on your over analysis as you look at this beautiful game. Yeah, I was maybe just to build off what Nate was saying really uh, is the idea that on Joel Klatt on his like podcast after the game, he was saying how uh, this Michigan victory should give all these other football teams, a lot of hope for themselves that like, you know um, they're not built like Georgia or Alabama. They're not just like, massive amounts of five-star talent a lot of it has been developed and so he was like you know other teams can like take hope in that and like use that as a blueprint and I really question that because I think that Michigan has something really unique and that if it was that like doable not that I'm saying that Joel Klatt was saying that it's like easy to do or to achieve but like where are you going to see because I mean some of the teams that he mentioned I'm just like where do you see that kind of talent development happening Right. Like if, if we just stay within our own fair conference, um, Ohio State obviously has massive amounts of talent uh, over a historical time period. You know, Oregon is is certainly going to be a scary team. USC. I mean, if, if Lincoln Riley can ever figure out how to get a defensive coordinator and get them to play defense, like they're obviously going to be up there in the mix for winning the Big Ten. But after that, it's like 
uh, and Washington, obviously, and, and Kalen DeBoer in, in Washington. So it's like beyond that and Michigan, like who do you think is actually going to be able to achieve what, what Michigan's what they're doing? Because Penn State, I don't think, has that kind of talent uh, uh, development. I, I, you know, although don't worry, James Franklin's name is being floated out there for the Alabama job. I'm sure that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm sure all those Alabama fans are are desperate for a man who finishes third in his own conference every single year, except one. And in that year, he lost to Michigan. I think what Michigan beat Penn State in the 2016, like 49 to 14 or something like that. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'm sure that's that's it. He said Michigan State, which I'm sure John Smith uh, will be fine. He'll probably do a little bit better than the last John Smith that they had. Um, but that's a deep track, by the way, kids. If you're, if you, <laughs> I mean, I did John not Allen. think about. I didn't think about the fact that they've hired two John Smiths. <laughs> hey, that was John. L. John yeah. L. This is John, screwing it up. John K. Smith. I don't know. I don't know what his middle name is. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think that that Michigan has it's not just the talent development, but it seems like a place where these these young men really feel like they belong to a team and um and, and a family. And obviously, you know, there, there's lots of places that that have, you know, cultures that emphasize that, but I feel like the unselfishness of Michigan football is really what makes it stand out. And you think about J.J. McCarthy, who, you know, at one point was a Heisman contender this year, and then he proceeded to throw like 20 passes the rest of the season because we didn't throw anything in the second half against Penn State. Uh, He was pretty banged up against Penn State, or I'm sorry, against Maryland. And then uh, he, you know, I what had like 20 attempts at in the Ohio State game. Um, And he never complained about that. Never was like I can't remember who I saw somebody say this. Could you imagine saying that to Caleb Williams? Hey, you're going to hand the ball off for the next 30 plays in a row. You know, probably not. And uh, he's probably not going to do that. So it's like JJ was unselfish. Donovan was unselfish, right? Like Blake Corum came back. This was supposed to be Dono's year. He doesn't leave. He doesn't transfer. He sticks around. He has a lackluster production throughout most of the season still was out there celebrating his guys, celebrating Blake. And when he, you know, finally scored his first touchdown, everyone was real excited for him. Uh, in the national championship game, you know, he scores those first two runs, which are huge, like just oh, so great that he was there. And then when Blake scored, he cheered so hard for him. Like he, he was so excited. I mean, all the wide receivers, I mean, 89% of their life seems to be just blocking I don't think most receivers want to do that. And that might be a problem uh, uh, for Michigan going forward. Like, how are you going to keep wide receivers? And, and you know, you got to have at least a couple of them. Um, but none of those guys complain, right? Like Roman, Cornelius Johnson, uh, Tyler Morris had, a, you know, he had his shining moment in the Rose Bowl, but it would have been easy for him to hang his head because he didn't have the year that he probably wanted to. And, Again, on the defensive side of the ball, like the the rotations where guys are just playing 30, 40 snaps a game because everyone's going to stay fresh. Like, I, I just think that the unselfishness 
of, of Michigan this year that starts at the top with, with Jim Harbaugh and the praise that he gives to the coordinators and the credit he gives to them. It starts with JJ McCarthy and his mentality. It starts with a guy like, you know, Mikey, who's like, yeah, you know, I was a wide receiver for a couple of years, but they're going to shift me over to, to the defense. Okay. I'll go be a great defender. Trent A. Jones saying, I'm not going to transfer when they bring in two other tackles to, to basically replace me. I'm going to be the best sixth lineman uh, slash tight end that this, this college football has ever seen. And so again, just so, so many easy, easy guys to root for and be excited about. And, and that unselfishness, you're not going to replicate very easily in any other corner of college football. And so I think uh, it's, it's some of those intangibles that, you know, it's not quite statistical analysis, but, but it's those intangibles uh, that have made Michigan what they are this year. Mm. So good. Well, now it's that time we do it every week. Our final one of this absolutely gorgeous 2023 season that wrapped wrapped up here in early 2024, the ATW awards of the week. Nate, get us in. Who are you doling out the final ATW award to in this beautiful season? Well, you both had mentioned them. Um, you know, outside of as a unit, the defensive front um, dominated, and that's the reason we won was the defensive front for sure. Two individuals I I want to say solidified that um, are two areas. Uh, Keon Sab stepping in. Quentin Johnson. I don't know if you guys realized he was on questionable list. I don't. I didn't see him out there. I don't know if you two did, but um, you know he's been solid. Obviously, he's the he made a huge play in the Alabama game, and he's been just really good as a contributor this year. But Keon Sab, in place of that, had two pass breakups, played incredibly well, and uh, there was no drop-off. And that just was not happening earlier this year um, at all. So Keon Sab stepping in. They clearly were going after him, and they were trying to pick on Josh Wallace. Problem for them was there were no holes in the defensive backfield. So Keon Sab, um, as you know, it just takes one guy in the defensive backfield to screw up enough times and they'll be picking on him no matter what, not to, you know, throw a, a shade out there, but Bobakar Sissoko um, against Notre Dame is really the, the image that you are left with is those types of performances. That's just the reality of football. It's like when there's a bad match that they're going to go after that no matter how, you know, many times they have to. And uh, they couldn't do that anywhere on defensive backfield. And a true sophomore, Keon Sab, who's had limited time, stepped in, played admirably, tackled well, uh, had one missed tackle, and then it motivated him or something. He just didn't miss anything after that. The second person I want to highlight, and this is really crazy, and I know this is not new information, but as a reminder to the Michigan footballs, great a tradition as we've had, as much as we kind of make fun of some of the old dinosaur quarterbacks that we had in the early 90s, J.J. McCarthy's leadership and NFL talent level skill set. I think he's coming back for next year. That's my bold prediction, hopefully. But uh, I do want to tell you, the last quarterback that we've had, Jake Rudock had a cup of coffee in the NFL. But Chad Henney's the last Michigan quarterback. When I was in college, 
I was in college when Jay, Chad Henney was in college a long time ago. Chad Henney is retired from the NFL. And that's the last quarterback that we've had make even a cup of coffee in the NFL. JJ McCarthy's an NFL quarterback. You have to have an NFL quarterback to go all the way. And the fact that we did, the fact that he's not just talented, he's a leader. And the fact that he doesn't get those gaudy numbers, as was said earlier from you guys, it's just the beauty and nature of who he is, accepting and enjoying his role. As Kyle mentioned, he's not a Caleb Williams type of guy that, you know, he wants those numbers. Dante Moore, a guy I think we Michigan would, fans would enjoy to see, but he's a kid that clearly doesn't have the same type of psyche and uh, acceptance of his role uh, that J.J. McCarthy does. And it's a very unique person. So having that quarterback allow this team, they have to account for his running and passing. And the fact that he crowns every single player on his team, no matter what, when they score a touchdown, is just the the most selfless, beautiful leadership thing I've seen from the most position, the most important position, the most difficult position in sports. Um, to have JJ McCarthy on that sideline, on the offense, it's just awesome. And uh, those are the two guys that I have to highlight. One is a young up and comer. One is an established, incredible record, incredible skill set. Going to be an NFL player eventually. But uh, those two guys um, were the my ATW players of the game for the national championship. Beautiful. And like you said with JJ, I think what's so interesting, and some people maybe have forgotten this, that his NIL money goes every game to whatever town he's playing in to a children's hospital, J.J. McCarthy. And you're just like, what a guy you know and you know the ceiling is so high for him still we haven't even really scratched the surface but you see flashes of it all the time really awesome well special teams have been interesting all year and before i award uh this week's special teamer of the week i want to say a couple things about the special teams first off um it got a little crazy uh, it's like we had two returners out there, which was terrifying. But when we needed one, what you know, they had uh, Washington's punter had adjusted and was definitely playing for the role. It was really cool. Um, we adjusted, and Jake Thaw made a great fair catch and saved us probably 20 some yards. He caught fair caught it at like the 30. Uh, also want to shout out Jake Thaw had an amazing return versus Purdue earlier in the year. Obviously, Alabama moment was really tough. Um, you know, Jake Thaw saw your tweet, broke my heart. Uh, we see you as a national champion, buddy. You know, that's how we see you. Uh, big contributor to this team at different points throughout the season. And, uh, yeah, so best of luck to him as he goes into the portal and has a lot of eligibility left. So hope he has a fantastic rest of his playing and collegiate career. James Turner, uh, was solid, you know, uh, 31-yard field goal, made all the extra points. A 38-yard field goal after the Will J pick, which was nice. But my ATW player of the week is definitely Tommy Doman. 46.8 yards per punt. Uh, when Washington got the ball after a punt, they started on their own 20, 2, 26, 11, and 33. The best starting field position all day uh, was their own 39. Uh, which was when we had gone for it. So Tommy Doman really did a great job flipping the field. 
um, and, and giving us that advantage uh, throughout the game. And now it is time for the big mistake of the week. Kyle. Yeah, I mean, being in the national championship, one, there's only one game. Two, these were, you know, two of the best teams in college football. There really weren't a tremendous amount of mistakes, relatively few penalties, uh, a couple of crucial holding calls that finally, finally were called uh, that, that prevented some big gains by, by Washington and negated a uh, pass interference call on, on Will Johnson. But I think overall, the big mistake really of the entire season has to go to our friends who root for an Ohio State University and the Michigan State fighting Mel Tuckers. And that is... They really believed that the uh, all the success that Michigan had achieved, A, was because of Connor Stallions and his grainy iPhone videos from row 78 and section 218. And B, because of that, the NCAA was going to come in and negate everything that Michigan had accomplished. And the president of the NCAA yesterday came out and said that Michigan's championship was legitimate and that there was absolutely no reason to think that they had won because of any kind of impropriety. Not that the investigation is over necessarily. And of course, you know, Connor Stallions technically broke a rule. He deserves whatever slap on the wrist, you know, is, is necessary in that regard in the uh, exactly 0.0 point or 005% of an advantage that he may have given Michigan at any given time. Never mind the fact that Ohio State is currently tampering, allegedly, with transfers from Alabama or that they allegedly broke into some computer software systems that all these teams use for on their iPads to, to watch film. Okay. Never mind all that. So the 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 big mistake was was thinking that, especially for Ryan Day, you staked your entire season on blowing this up on Michigan midseason, getting everyone to question them, think that they were, you know, a disgrace or cheaters or whatever. And uh were then planning on beating them in November so that you could, you know, say, hey, the last two years were, uh, you know, not my fault. And that didn't happen. Michigan is 15-0 and because of their hard work, because of their effort, because of their great players and coaching. And uh, there's, there's not going to be any kind of vacated wins. And so the, the amount of crow that these people have to eat is uh, so enjoyable for us to watch. And was just a, a huge mistake on all of their parts, thinking that their sad existences could be explained away uh, on Connor Stallions. Which, I, you know what? Give him a ring. Give him a ring. I hope he gets his own parade. Let's throw it. Okay. Not because he did anything great, but I don't think he did anything bad either. Right? So let's throw him like a mid-parade. You're just like every other middle management person in the world. 
you don't do anything wrong. You don't do anything great, but you still deserve that, that championship ring, buddy. And so go blue for you forever. Go blue for all of us. Wow. I love it. And uh, it's a good reminder that we won every single game and we're better than everybody else. And it's fine to let people know that. Um, you know, as we uh, close our time and get ready to close our time together, there are a lot of great, huge moments that have happened in the last couple of weeks, right? In the college football playoff semifinal and the Rose Bowl against Alabama, against Washington. But I don't want us to forget some of these beautiful moments. Do you remember uh, in the game which J.J. McCarthy's friend, Ryan Keeler, um, J.J. McCarthy hit Roman Wilson for a 47-yard touchdown, which was Keeler's high school number. Uh, uh, J.J. had number 47 on his hand and realized, you know, he threw a 47-yard touchdown pass just to Roman Wilson, how special that moment was, I believe, against UNLV. Um those kind of moments, right? Like these are, man, just uh, these, uh, it was just perfect. Everything about the season was perfect. Um, in the midst of hardship and trials and pain and the loss of a friend and just that little beautiful moment and wink for JJ and for the Keeler family after all of that. Um, you think about, um, you know, the second play of the game against Purdue, Will Johnson has a pick six. Shutting out Michigan State. <laughs> we shut out Michigan State. Smashing Penn State with no Coach Harbaugh. The timeless, ever beautiful um, Blake Quorum jump cut. Uh, Quorum's another beautiful run against Ann Ohio State. Rod Moore pick. Alabama sack fest, the Roman Wilson crazy tipped ball catch that he reaches at the moon, the fourth down uh, quorum pass play, the quorum jump, jump cut, winning in overtime, stuffing Milrow against Washington, Dono going crazy, the Will Johnson pick, the Mikey pick, quorum finishing the game. So many beautiful moments of this game, of, of this season, and uh, so many, so many, soak it up, so many good mems. Um, yeah, I mean, what any any additional things for you guys of just favorite moments or things about this season as we wrap up this gorgeous, beautiful episode? I just want to thank Blake Corum. I think there's not enough you can say about that kid. Um, they, we say leaders and best, but this might be the best collection of leaders I've ever seen at the collegiate level. And from top to bottom, Ladarius Henderson, Drake Nugent, AJ Barner, Jack Tuttle, transferring in as grads, um, were captains on their team and came and, and shared that same gift with us and uh, on to the next class. I think just that passing of the baton. Um, I just saw that uh, the guard from Northwestern just started enrolling as well as uh, the next linebacker from Maryland. Um, and they're, they're Michigan men already. So 
that's exciting and encouraging. And I think we just need to express the gratitude to this group of leaders that are going to be successful no matter what. And uh, we wish them well. And again, I'm a man almost 40 and I just look up to these guys (laughs) knowing, knowing the pressure that they were under. Uh, what they could have chosen to be stressed out and full of anxiety for, but chose to play for one another. And just, they may never have this experience of togetherness anywhere else in their lives. And I'm just so grateful for what they were able to share with us and uh, welcome us into that experience. And it's just been fun, man. So thank you guys for being great. And uh, to you both, it's been fun. Uh, We're going to continue on. This is not over, but uh, when you reach the national championship and you're talking about it, it is fun for us. It's a hobby, but it's also uh, just such a nurturing experience to have with one another. So go blue. So fun. Those are my thoughts. Kyle, how about you, buddy? Yeah. I mean, just, just experiencing it with, uh, with friends and family um, as fans, it's yeah. What, what everyone said and what Nate just said about Blake in particular, all that uh, I echo hundred percent. And then, yeah, just, you know, go enjoy the sport with, with the people you love and, 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 you know, share it. Don't be alone um yeah it was great it was a great season and i'm excited for next season and maybe we'll talk about basketball once before next august uh just to say hey uh who are who will our next coach be (laughs) otherwise yeah we'll, we'll probably go dark for a little bit um but yeah if nothing else we'll definitely be back for for next football season and yeah greatest season of our lives and uh yeah it's been a lot of fun go blue yeah thank you for we shockingly have more people listen to this than i ever expect which is fun and um so thank you for jumping in with us on our mostly weekly uh uh coming to you almost every week and it's fun to journey through this share it with friends and uh the memories that come with it we we realize it's a hobby it's a sport um watching 18 to 24 25 year olds sometimes in these uh extra covid years uh that players got back but um yeah so fun enjoy it enjoy this win celebrate um because yeah michigan wolverines are the champions and will be for quite some time so uh that's all we have for you this time michigan wolverines national champions 2023 season clinching it over the Washington Huskies in the historic college football town of Houston. We'll see you next time on All Things Wolverine.